Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Welcome, everyone. It's good to be here. I've just come back from the 9.30 over at the Polish house. It's also just a beautiful atmosphere like there is here as well today. And um, we are up to the fifth week of our current challenge, which is about eating and drinking together. It's about hospitality. It's about gathering around tables as we are, but making our eating and drinking something bigger than just our physical bodies. So the first week we looked at what it means to um, have strangers around our tables and strangers can be people you don't know or people who are strange. Um, (laughs) They think you're strange and you think they're strange because you think you are the centre of normal and everyone else to the left or right is strange. So um, find someone who's strange and have them to your table. And then we looked at our neighbours and considered the fact that what if your neighbour is actually your neighbour? Do you know your neighbour? Do you love your neighbour? Do they come to your table? Do you bless them and just be there for them? Then we moved on to the empty table. How can we, as we enjoy our own tables here in this flourishing land in which we live, make sure that the tables around the world that are empty are not empty and take that on as our responsibility as very blessed people? And then we moved on to last week celebrating the family of God around the table. That's with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our connect groups, however we get together around the table with the family of God. And today we're talking about celebrating around the table. We're talking about God's desire for us to to celebrate and to rejoice. Now, I don't know how you think of God if you think of God's personality. You've probably seen movies about Jesus over the past week. He's very sombre with just starey eyes, and you've probably seen artwork where he is, is like that as well. If you go out to the shop out here at the front after church and you'll find some children's books out there written by a guy from South Australia called Andrew McDonough, and uh, he portrays Jesus in one of the ways that I think Jesus should be portrayed far, far more. It says in this in um, Hebrews 1.9, Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. In other words, Jesus is the happiest and most joyful person ever. And if you go and look at those kids' books, you'll see Jesus portrayed as this happy and joyful person. He has his neighbours in and he makes them a banana milkshake. And uh, it's, it's worth, I buy them for Silas, my grandson, all the time because we both love them. And when they're ordered from Kurong and he's waiting, he said, Has he got there yet? And I said, No, they're not. So I read him one the other day. And then after that, we had to make a banana milkshake, which I've never made before, by the way, and um, put way too much banana in. So we had to tip it out in the end because he couldn't actually suck it out because it was just basically mashed up banana. So, yeah. And we had fun doing it. But there, this is this picture of God who is full of joy. It's an amazing picture of God. So I want to start off with a, a story today about Jesus and see what he's saying to us about joy and celebration. It's from John chapter 2. The next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. How does that concern you and me, Jesus asked. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servant, do whatever he tells you. I love that little bit. I always sit and think about that. Firstly, the fact that she can just say that. 
but also the fact that she knew what he could do. Just made me wonder how many miracles had already happened at home. Six stone water pots were standing there. They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and held 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So they followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. Usually a host serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone is full and doesn't care, he brings out the least, less expensive wines, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was Jesus' first display of his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, you've probably heard that story. And what do you do with that story? The very, very first thing that Jesus does to reveal to, reveal to people who he is is um, probably creating about a 1,000 bottles of wine to a party that's already had wine. It's an interesting thing. And it says this is a sign. It's a sign. Now, a sign is a pointer to reality. It's pointing to something that is, is real. So if you're driving somewhere and you see a sign and uh, you see the sign of the place that you're going to and it's standing out, e.g. Maccas, you see that sign, you think, oh, it's just over there. If you earnestly desire Maccas, it would make you happy. If it, you don't, it won't make you happy. But, you know, you see a sign or you see a sign and it's getting closer. It says so and says 50 Ks and then it's 20 Ks and it's 10. And your anticipation grows because of, of the signs. That means something good is, is coming. And, and so this is Jesus is giving signs. Now, you can think of signs seriously, but I think God is far more joyful than we realise. So back in 2009, in February, my son Josh was having a birthday. But this particular February, he was, he and his wife Eva were in England. And in September 2008, our son Sam had passed away. And Sam and Josh were two years apart, but they shared the same birthday, the 16th of February. And so they'd moved, Josh and Everett had gone to England to study and Josh's birthday was approaching and it was going to be his first birthday without Sam and they hadn't been there for very long and they hadn't made friends. And he said, I'm just not looking forward to this birthday. And so I was praying, what can we send him to make this birthday really special, to bring some joy back into his life? And I was praying with one of my friends. We were walking along Newcastle Harbour one day praying about this and she said, send Caleb. Caleb is also my son and he at that point was at, at a mission trip in India. So I rang him and I said, hey Caleb, how would you feel about us flying you to England for a week? He said, sure. Despite the fact that he had no warm clothes, England was in the middle of winter and it was intensely hot in India. So that was a problem when he got there. He had to find anything that he could find to keep himself warm. So we sent him over as a surprise, but we didn't tell Josh he was coming. We rang Lisa, who had been Sam's girlfriend, who lived in London, and we said, um, told her our plan. And I sent her a card that was from our family here for um, Josh for his birthday and so she um, was living in a share house and so she went and got Caleb from, the, no she didn't get Caleb from the airport, she didn't have a car. He had all his bags and he was freezing cold and he had to catch the train in and it was a big sacrifice for Caleb actually in that way. And uh, got a free trip to England. Then she contacted Josh and Ever and said, I'm, I happen to be coming up to Cambridge for the day, could we meet for dinner? And so they organised a restaurant and she arrived and she sat down here. Here's a birthday card from your family and your presents outside. I'll just go out and get it. 
and in comes Caleb. And it was just such an amazingly joyful time for them to be reunited. It was joyful for us. Like I could have just rung Josh and said, I've got an idea, we're going to send Caleb. But we, we anticipated great joy for him and we had these little signs like, here's a card, something good is happening, something's outside. And I think God is like that. I think, honestly, I think we can look at that parable, that sorry, that miracle and take it really seriously, which you can do because there's a lot of good serious stuff in that. But also I think it's God having fun. The first thing he does is he says, guess what's coming? Because if you look in the Old Testament, in Proverbs 3, it says, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So lots of wine is symbolic of abundant blessing. And then in Amos 9 it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. It's a symbol of overflowing blessing. And so I believe what Jesus is doing, rather than just saying, here I am, he's saying, overflowing wine? Guess what's happening, everyone? It's like he's having fun. He's actually having fun with people. Good things are on their way. It's a sign. And it's a sign of his glory. And glory is God's presence and his person, a revelation of what God is like. And I think it's fascinating that his very first miracle, that was a sign showing what he's like, is just a symbol of abundant blessing, of joy. It's at a wedding. They didn't really, I mean, did they need the wine? Apart from their own um, sense of value that they didn't run out of wine, they didn't plan incorrectly, or maybe that their guests drank it all and they drank too much. Why that miracle? Of all things, it wasn't a healing, it wasn't a raising from the dead, it was a celebration and a party. And I believe God is saying it's time to celebrate in more than just this in the earthly way. Something amazing is about to happen. And that's what people are looking for, something amazing that's about to happen. And they're looking for people like you and me who actually believe that and live in that. If you ever saw the um, Pixar movie The Incredibles, did anyone see that? When, uh, you know, The Incredibles aren't being incredible anymore and there's that little boy on his bike and he comes along and Mr Incredible says, what are you waiting for? And he says, something amazing, I guess. And that's what people are waiting for something amazing and the something amazing happens in you and me so it says in hebrews 1 9 therefore god your god has anointed you pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else so there's a lot of things you can know about god he is love he's not wrath or anger that's like a subset of that because if you really love when you the people you love are hurting you can become angry at the one who hurts them for example, the enemy who comes to steal, kill and destroy. Even though Jesus suffered incredible sorrow, it says he is a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, but his nature is, is joy. So he is the most joyful person ever. So let's draw a few things out of this. Firstly, God's plan for your life is to grow you into the kind of person who is as joyful as he is. Have you ever thought of that as part of your being a follower of Jesus and your spiritual growth is to grow you into a person who is as joyful as he is, knowing that he is the most joyful person ever? Part of his plan for you. And if you doubt that, let's have a look at a few scriptures. So start off with John 15. This is Jesus speaking and he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus says this, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. There's a plan. I'm telling you all these things to remain in my love and obey my commands because this is my plan for you. I want my joy, this overflowing joy that no one's ever seen before, I want it to fill you and I want your joy to be complete. That's actually part of God's spiritual growth plan for you is joy. Move on to John 16. Jesus says, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Move on to John 17. This is uh, Jesus praying to the Father. And he says to the Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. His plan for you is actually to have the full measure of his joy within you. That's part of his spiritual growth plan for you. So how do you get that? Well, to get this, the first thing you have to understand about yourself is that we are not pre-programmed robots. Now, you might wonder why that fits into this. But sometimes we think that when we come to know Jesus that we're like computers and get instant download of a particular program and you've got it. You get this in. Now, when you're first filled with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with joy. But anyone who's been filled with the Holy Spirit and has lived another day knows that things happen in this world. And in his presence there is fullness of joy, but there's this spiritual battle that goes on all the time to get our hearts and our minds out of his presence. And so we are not just pre-programmed. We are delightfully created unique human beings with the capacity for spiritual growth and flourishing from within. And those desires from within to be full of joy are meant to be there. Everyone actually wants to be full of joy. If I said, is there anyone here today who would not like to be full of joy? Is there anyone? If you ever woken up in the morning and feel sad and think, oh, this will be a nice day, I will just be sad all day. I enjoy being sad because you don't. If I wake up feeling sad, my first thought is, oh, I wish I could go back to sleep so I don't have to feel the sadness. And so our hearts are earnestly desiring joy and it's not a temporary joy and it's not a joy that is um, sort of manufactured. It's a deep joy that comes from within, that comes from being in the presence of, of God because it says in his presence, Psalm 16 says, in his presence is fullness of joy and that is right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is fullness of joy and he's designed us for that. So we are created and we have to grow and so rejoicing and celebrating, finding the joy of the Lord is a spiritual discipline. So often we feel like we've missed out on something because we thought that it would just be thrown into us or pre-programmed into us and it's actually a spiritual discipline and we have to learn in the spiritual battle of the world that we're in to live in his presence where there is fullness of joy. And there are forces against you all the time that would like to take you out of his presence so that you don't experience fullness of joy. And it's a spiritual discipline that you need to practice like anything else. When children learn to talk, they practice and we gradually correct them until they get it right and they listen. They spend a lot of time in the presence of people speaking and so they learn to speak and they practice and they don't get it right. And we laugh sometimes when they say funny things along the way but eventually we all get it right. Here we are, we can all talk and you can't remember how you learnt to talk but you practised. None of us can, I imagine, remember our first word 
We don't remember how we learnt to string a sentence together, but we all have done it and we all practised and now we all communicate really well. And if you want to learn another language, you spend time with people who speak that other language. Otherwise, it's really hard to learn that language and you practise. Richard Foster writes, The decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. That is why celebration is a discipline. It's not something that falls on our heads. It's the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. And Jesus is inviting us into this way. It's a spiritual discipline. And when we think of discipline, sometimes we think of the word punishment because discipline has been used for the word punishment. But discipline comes from the word disciple, which is someone who is an apprentice or a learner. So when it's a spiritual discipline, it's a spiritual practice that we are learning to do well because it will benefit us and it will give glory to God as we learn to do it well. So it's not a discipline because you're bad. It's a spiritual practice that you are learning to become like Jesus because Jesus is full of joy and we embrace it. It's like you are learning the fine art. It's the fine art of celebration and rejoicing, which is a fine art which you need to refine as life goes on. In Philippians 4, 4 to 7, it says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And the word rejoice is like the word celebrate. So celebrate the Lord always. I say it again, celebrate. And the reason that he says that twice is it is of incredible importance. Here's a person writing this who has grown to know the power and the grace and the love of Jesus and has joy in the worst situations. And he's giving you a secret for growing in Jesus, for this spiritual practice, this spiritual art that you are refining. He says, rejoice, 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 never give up rejoicing. Um, it says in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. There are keys all through the scriptures is what we are meant to do if we are to flourish and it's to rejoice. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, that's a, that's a tricky one because if you've ever been anxious about something and someone says, don't worry, that doesn't help. You are worrying. All you do is you stop saying I'm worried and you just worry internally. But the Apostle Paul gives you an, a solution of what to do if you are anxious. Don't be anxious about anything, but do this. In every situation where you're feeling anxious, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, thanksgiving lines up with the rejoicing, Present your requests to God. Just simply present them. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Because to be a person who is full of joy, joy begins in your heart and your mind and it overflows. And if your heart and your mind is not protected, you will lose that joy. So your heart and your mind need to be totally protected and they're protected as you rejoice and you come to God with thanksgiving, presenting your request to him. It protects your heart and mind. It's a spiritual battle here. If you want to be protected against an enemy force, you need some form of protection around you. And if you want to be protected against the enemy who comes to steal, kill and destroy, you need this protection around you and you will get this protection around you as you rejoice because the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. It's the peace of God which transcends all understanding. It means when you feel that peace... Rationally, it doesn't make sense. You've got a situation that should be causing you anxiety, but it's not because you've got the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Thirdly, you and I have the ability through the Holy Spirit within us, and it's, this is part of the fine art of learning to rejoice, is to think like Jesus. 
So Jesus thinks with joy. Jesus thinks, sees people because he thinks differently to us and our aim is to be apprenticed to him to start thinking like him. Um, because he thinks differently, he sees situations differently to the way that we normally see them. So he sees a situation where there's a woman caught in the act of adultery and everyone else sees it and they've got stones ready to kill her because uh, she has broken a law. But Jesus walks into the situation and sees the same visible situation but sees something totally different. He sees a broken woman who needs redemption. He sees her with joy and with hope. He sees a good future for her and he speaks that into her and he turns the whole situation around because he saw it differently to everyone else. He sees someone with leprosy and lepers were barred from society lest others catch leprosy and he saw them and that lepers were people who had to walk around ringing a little bell saying unclean, unclean so that no one would go near them. But he touches them because he sees them with with healing potential. He sees them with joy. He sees a joyful future for them. He sees everything differently. And we as apprentices of his are called to have that same mind, that mind that is always rejoicing in the power and the goodness of God that understands that we can walk into every situation and bring joy and hope into the situation. Somehow every situation he goes into, he brings hope to people, except for those who want to condemn him. To the others who are broken and needy, he brings hope to all their lives because he thinks differently. He thinks with a mind full of joy. And we are called to learn to think like him because when we think like him, we are joyful people who bring hope into every situation. So in Philippians 4, 8 to 9, it says this, finally, brothers and sisters. Now, sometimes when you hear that word finally, um, you click off. It's like if I said, and this is my last point, you go, okay, she's about to finish. We'll just click off and think about what we're going to do after this. So Let's cut out the word finally. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, you can just read that list and the list of war, they're nice words, so the warm words. So as you listen to warm words, you feel nice without even thinking about what you just read. You just feel nice because they're nice words, true, noble, right, pure, lovely. They're lovely, so you feel nice. Let me read it again and see what word stands out to you. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So which word stood out to you? I'm going to ask you to share around your table. Which word stood out to you? It's got one or two minutes. And why you think that word stood out to you? What do you love about that word? Now, I just need to qualify. For the 8.30 people, they looked at me stunned because I think they thought there was the winning word. There's no winning word. They're all equal value. So it doesn't matter which one. I'm not going to say at the end. And all the people who chose praiseworthy, you get a free cup of coffee because you don't have to pay for it. So share around the table which word stood out to you and why you think it stood out to you. Okay, you can keep that conversation going later. What I'm getting us to do is to meditate on at least one of those words. What does it mean to think of things that are lovely? What does that actually mean? What does it mean to think of things that are noble? or true? What does it mean just to think about things that are right? What goes on in your head? And 
only you know what goes on in your head. Even we can conceal what goes on in our heads to one another. But what goes on in your head determines what type of person you are becoming. Are you becoming as joyful as Jesus? Are you becoming that life-giving presence that goes into every situation? Are you thinking like him? Are you bringing hope into people's lives? N.T. Wright says, The command to think about all the wonderful and lovely things listed here runs directly opposite, should say, to the habits of mind instilled by the modern media. Directly opposite. And truly not just the modern media. Because when that passage was first written, modern media was something written on scrolls that was modern and whatever other forms of media they had. The temptation to think negatively, to think bitterly, to think miserably is not just invented with the internet. It's been part of human nature since the fall. So there's always a drawing to the negative. Sometimes people say, um, well, I don't believe in God because there's evil in the world. Well, why don't they say I believe in God because there's good in the world? So it's a desire to think of the negative. But there's some amazing things in the world, some beautiful things in the world, some incredible people, some incredible creation. There's family and friends and there's beautiful things in the world. Why don't we say I believe in God because there is so much beauty in this world because our minds tend towards darkness and if we want to be like Jesus we have to bring them to light and it's a discipline to do it so we're just going to look at a few things five quick things that we can do because this is a spiritual discipline otherwise we finish now and we say that's really nice but you and I have to make a plan for ourselves as how we're going to be apprenticed to become joyful people how do we get this fine art of celebration into our lives of rejoicing as the apostle says as the apostle Paul says Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. This is a key to your flourishing in life to learn how to rejoice and to celebrate. And the first thing is to surrender the illusion of control over to God and don't stress about anything. Now that sounds simple, but the fact is that we have this illusion of control. So when you're worrying about something, what you're trying to do in your head is control it. Yeah, I was reading Bill Johnson said recently, even with the, like the American election, people are talking about it as if the future of the world hangs on who the next president is. And he said, there is a God who is greater. It's like people have forgotten there is a God who is greater. So we have this illusion of control that we need to let go of and we need to come and rejoice in the Lord. We need to pray without ceasing. We need to bring good into the world with praying, but we've got to remember that we do not have control. How many companies and businesses and churches and everything for about the last 10 years have had this 2020 vision statement that in the year 2020, we are going to do this? No one did it. The whole world changed. The illusion of control. Things can change in an instant and you need to rejoice that you have a God who is greater than everything. That at the end, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of all. Our hope can only be in him because he is the only one who never, ever changes. In four years' time, there will be another American presidential election. Things will keep going on. Things will keep changing. But God is the only one who never changes. So let's get rid of this illusion of control and hand it over to God and stop stressing. Secondly, we give thanks. You work gratitude into every fibre of your being. Now, sometimes thankfulness is a, and gratitude, people think, well, that's easy because you just think of what you're thankful for, the, the good things in your life. But we're called to be thankful and full of gratitude even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. 
in Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. In other words, I'm walking through a really dark time, but I'm thankful that you are with me. And we are walking and we're going to come out of this valley and there's going to be light. We need to learn the fine art, the fine spiritual practice of thanking God in everything, that he is in control and that he loves us. He's not punishing us, as some would think. He's loving us and he's guiding us and he's transforming us and we walk with him. And therefore we are always thankful. And as we are thankful, it releases the pressure of the things that we're going through. And it is a spiritual discipline. Honestly, I don't, would, not, would not like to give the impression I've got this all mapped out because I have to practice this over and over and over again. And I think just when I've worked out this whole thing of rejoicing and celebrating, which I've been learning since I was a teenager, and every time I've got it down pat, I realise I don't. I do not have control over, even over myself. I'd have to keep surrendering to the Holy Spirit and allow him to have that control over me. Even the Holy Spirit is the one I call on to enable me to be thankful and joyful in dark situations because I honestly cannot do it myself. I've failed so, so many times. been upset with myself so many times because I face a dark situation and I can't rejoice. honestly cannot do it until I come and say, Heavenly Father, I want to rejoice. I want to be thankful. Honestly, it's nothing is within me that's really doing it. My lips are saying it. My heart doesn't mean it. And then the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do it. Until we realise that we have no control over this and give ourselves to the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to practise this fine art because all Jesus could do was constantly surrender himself to the Father and all we can do is constantly surrender ourselves to the Father. So we learn to give thanks. Thirdly, focus your attention on all that is good in the world. Our minds tend towards the negative rather than the positive. So look for the good things every day and celebrate them. And let, fourthly, let God grow your emotional intelligence. So when we're lacking in emotional intelligence, we see people differently. We don't see them through the eyes of God. But the other thing we do is we don't have the ability to put off for today something so that we can receive something better tomorrow. It says in Philippians 2, for the joy set before him was able to humble himself not grab, not think equality was with God was something he could grasp, even though he had the right to. Able hum, to humble himself, to become a servant to everyone, to die a criminal's death upon the cross for the joy set before him. So he was able to go through the Garden of Gethsemane, pray and drip sweats of blood because of this joy set before him, because of the anticipation of what was God was going to do. He trusted the Father so much. He could say, look, I don't really want this, but I want your will because I know the joy that is set before me. And because of that, because he was able to trust in God for the end, he was able to rise from the dead, beat the power of sin and death and open the gates for everyone to enter into his presence and be, fullness, be filled with his joy. And he's calling us to do the same, to trust in God for the joy set before us. So we have to grow in that. Otherwise, what we tend to do is things don't work out the way we want them to and we somehow rationalise that then God is not real or God doesn't love me or something like that. And you, it's like you hit a wall and God didn't fit your formula, so you pull back from him. And when you hit a wall, you, when you realise God doesn't fit your formula, when you're trying to work out your formula of God, you're trying to become God. You will never work out your formula of God. If you can understand God completely, you are God. So you will never understand God completely. It's the first thing you have to accept about yourself. I'm not God. 
And when I hit a wall, it just means that I've got to learn to trust more, not to rationalise more. And people, every one of us, hits a wall and we either break through into a deeper relationship with God and a greater trust in his love. And we don't work out the why as much, but we work out the how he loves us and the what he wants us to do with it. Or we hit the wall and we retreat a few steps back to where we used to be or we just move straight away from him. And every one of us decides what we do with that. And if we choose to do what the Bible is telling us to do, to rejoice and to trust God for the future, we will learn this fine art of rejoicing, this spiritual practice of rejoicing, and we will be filled with his joy. And finally... We actively celebrate, as it said in verse 9, put it into practice. Don't let the enemy sabotage the movement in your heart towards joy. There is a movement in your heart towards joy and there is an enemy who comes to steal, kill and destroy. Curate your thought life to align with the mind of Christ. So our practice that we're looking at this week, our challenge to put this into practice is to celebrate, to celebrate God to celebrate each other, to celebrate the good things that he has done for us. And you can do this, well, we're talking about round the table, and I would encourage you around the table to think about how you could celebrate. So we celebrate in birthdays, but sometimes we don't celebrate enough in birthdays. Even that is a discipline. A birthday celebration doesn't just happen. A cake doesn't magically appear on the table and guests around the table. It doesn't just happen. It's a discipline to pull it together. And so when we intentionally celebrate each other, one thing we like to do in our family or I like to do, and some people say we don't all like to do it but I make them do it anyway, is to go around the table for the person that we're celebrating and say what we love about them. Now when you are the recipient, it's awkward and embarrassing and when it's me, I feel like saying, well, hang on, no, I'm not as good as what you're all saying. I just want to tell you, I just want to do a few disclaimers here. I don't think I'm that great but they keep going. But, you know, when you're going around the table and telling someone else what you love about them, you have no desire at all to tell them the things that you don't like. You just want to bless them. And I remember doing this once with an extended member of our family. It was his birthday and there was 26 of us around the table. And I said, and we're all going to share today what we love about you. And he said, do we have to? Because he's not sort of emotionally expressive and I said we do have to so we all went around the table took a long long time because celebration is worth spending a long time on and it ended up with beautiful tears as people said things that they loved and things that they remembered and I remember when you did this for me and that just meant so much no one had had the opportunities to say those things because those things just happen so when you celebrate people truly God is celebrating you all the time. The scriptures say he is singing over you. So we, with the heart of Jesus, who think like Jesus, who joy like Jesus, need to rejoice in the people who sit around our table and honestly tell them what we love about them because we can be the voice of the Father to them as we celebrate them for birthdays or for nothing. So last Monday night, we all came home and last Monday, Graham started chemotherapy and miraculously, no side effects. In fact, he finished early and caught an Uber home. So why did you do that? One of us could have come and go, oh, I didn't want to bother anyone, I just call an Uber. So that's embarrassing. You go and have chemo and no one comes and gets you, you've got to catch an Uber home. He said, no, it's very simple. And then um, Mateed, who lives with us, got great news about her teaching placement for next year. Phoebe had an unexpected gift that day. And I said, we're going to celebrate tonight. Let's just celebrate all these things and... Our friend Abby was there that night and I said, and we'll just celebrate you, Abby, because we love you, just love you. So we were around the table and we celebrated things and we celebrated 
occur. And it's fun just to celebrate. So you don't have to have a birthday. You can just celebrate the good things that God has done. Or sometimes you might like to have communion around your table. Or sometimes you might like to invite friends in and celebrate. But celebrating around the table is part of our discipline of joy. It's part of um, teaching our minds to think about the good things that God has done for us, to remind ourselves that there is a God who has not forgotten us. He will never forsake us. We continue to rejoice in those things. So let's pray. And for each one of us, God wants to speak specifically to you because only you and God knows what goes on in that little head and heart of yours that no one else can see. And God wants it to be transformed to be like him, to be overflowing with joy, to think like Jesus thinks. You are choosing to be apprenticed to him. So as we pray, we'll ask the Lord a couple of things. Father, we pray that you'll show us what spiritual disciplines we need to put into practice so that we could be proficient at this fine art of rejoicing, that we could win the battles against the enemy who comes to steal, kill and destroy What daily practices would you like us to do? What thoughts would you like us to take captive? And Father, as you speak to us, remind us, each one of us, that you fill us with your spirit to enable us to do this well. And as we think of the people in our lives, whether they be around our tables in our homes, our tables at our workplaces, our tables anywhere, may we celebrate one another. May we celebrate you May we be grateful for the things that you have done for us. May we be people who bring joy into every situation. And may our times around the table be times of joy. May we expect them to be times of joy because you are with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.